0: You're listening to the Rural Advancement Podcast. Rural Advancement provides resources to empower, equip, and encourage rural pastors and churches. Join our community by visiting us at ruraladvancement.com. Hello everybody and welcome back to Rural Advancement. This is the podcast that is by rural leaders and for rural leaders. It is our goal every single week, week in and week out, to bring you content that is not just spoken to the rural church, but is spoken by people who get it. People who know what it's like to live, work, and minister in small, out-of-the-way places and, uh, and who know the immense value of the work that God is doing there. I'm your host, Joe Epley, and today I'm excited to dive into a conversation with Jack Smart. He has served uh, over the years with Teen Challenge as a U.S. missionary in all sorts of different ways and contexts, and I'm so um, excited to hear his story. And so uh, the first thing I want to do is just say, uh, Jack, how are you doing today, sir? I'm
1: doing great, Joe. It's uh, It's wonderful to be with you.
0: Awesome. Well, we're glad to have you. Um, the first thing we always ask everybody is, uh, would you take just a few minutes here and describe kind of your background in ministry and how it kind of connects to the rural church? You know, tell us where you've been, what you've done, and and uh, where, what you're doing now, you know?
1: Well, Joe, I was blessed to be raised in a Christian home. Um, you know, I uh, always tell people I had an early drug problem, got drugged to church on Sunday morning, drug to <laughs> church on Sunday night, Drug to church on Wednesday night. Um, yeah. uh, but, uh, anyway, gave my heart to the Lord when I was young. Uh, unfortunately, uh, when I got to junior high and high school, I stepped away from really serving the Lord as I should. Sure. However, thankfully I didn't get, uh, involved with drugs or alcohol at that time. And there were two reasons for it. Number one was I'd heard at church that there was no future in, a, in that kind of lifestyle. And I believe that. The other was that I knew that if I ever did something like that and my dad ever found out, I'd learn about the reality of eternity much sooner than I wanted to. (laughs) So you could decide what your woe was. Thank the Lord for
0: good deterrence. You know what I'm saying? Thank the Lord. (laughs) Amen. Amen.
1: But anyway, when I got to college, uh, fortunately, our pastor there uh, had a back-to-school revival. And at one of those uh, meetings, I received a baptism in the Holy Spirit, which totally turned my spiritual life around. And so from that day to this, I've been uh, really seeking to serve the Lord wholeheartedly. Through a long st- I'll, I'll make a long story very short. Um, after graduating from college, got married and graduated from uh, a graduate school, God opened the door for me to come to Teen Challenge, which was not something I had on my radar, not because I had anything against it, but I just thought you had to be an ex-whatever in order to serve in a ministry like Teen Challenge, but found out that that was not the case. And went, uh, thinking I would be there a year or two, and um, actually served in Teen Challenge for 34 years. Uh, 31 of those years at uh, Teen Challenge Mid-America of Cape Girardeau, and uh, uh, three years in the national office. But uh, after a, a time there, God redirected our ministry. And uh, God led us into what we're doing now as U.S. missionaries, especially encouraging churches and communities to be involved with the Living Free uh, small group ministry, which is, um, you know, it's it's uh, it's again a small group. It's got a wonderful curriculum. Uh, I had a pastor one time after I had done my Sunday morning presentation after I was finished. He got up and he said, well, what you're really doing is bringing Teen Challenge to the local church. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, I hadn't thought of it that way, but, you know, that's kind of what that's kind of true. But in that time, especially when I was in Cape Girardeau, uh, I I tried to be involved as much as I could in district and sectional events and that sort of thing and got to meet and know a lot of pastors and everything. And in that area, it was mainly rural. I mean, most of the most of the churches were in towns of, you know, uh, five thousand or less. Sure. and so even though it wasn't something I really intentionally did, I got to get a feel for the the struggles and some of the challenges that pastors in rural communities were were dealing with and certainly learned to love and appreciate those men and women because they they did so much and a lot of times with so few resources um and everything and you know and and God used them in in mighty ways it's just their numbers were smaller than you have in a, in a large community. I mean,
0: if you if yeah. you're
1: in a town of 1500, it's hard to run, you know, 4,000, uh, yeah. you know, yeah. many have tried, a, many have failed, you know? <laughs> yeah. Right. So, yeah. you know, it's, it, it, it really is something where I, I saw the value of that. I saw the importance of that. And then also too, we, you know, Teen Challenge was supported by many, many churches, uh, and not just, uh, you know, not just AG or Pentecostal, but many other denominations and, you know, I would have the privilege sometimes of being able to minister there. And and it really helped me to understand the the value and the importance of the rural church and, and how that in that community, those churches, are, you know, are, are God's lifeline to the people that are there and the needs and problems and situations that those folks are facing there. So I have a deep appreciation for uh, the rural churches and rural pastors and all that they do.
0: Absolutely. I do want to dial in on, uh, you know, so I know you spent some time, obviously a ton of time with Teen Challenge, but there was a, a moment there where you came across a mutual friend of ours. His name is Steve Donaldson, and he runs Rural Compassion, which is a an incredible arm of uh, missions within the Assemblies of God and also just to the rural church uh, that is so focused on training uh, pastors how to do good community outreach and good community connection. Uh, really wonderful ministry. But um, talk to me about how, uh, you know, that time with Steve Donaldson or being around him in his sphere of ministry uh, really increased your burden for the real Church.
1: Yeah, um, Joe, I got to know Steve at a, at a transitional time in my life, actually one of the more, most difficult times in my life. And, and Steve uh, just so kindly and graciously be, befriended me and was trying to encourage me in the situation that I was in at that time. And but in the process of that, we would meet and he would ask me how I was doing. And you know, sometimes it would be great, I'm doing fine, and sometimes it would be, you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, you know, <laughs> you know, and classic then, uh, Tuesday,
0: you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> there you go.
1: But then, you know, after we talked a little while, he would start sharing about what was going on with him and, and his ministry and everything else. And the, the more that I talked with Steve, the more I got to see the value and the importance of uh, of the things that he was doing. I And I got to see the the rural church and rural ministry uh, in a different light. I think the one thing, I, I could point to one thing that's, that Steve and the folks at Rural Compassion talk about that really helped change my view of uh, rural churches and rural pastors, and that is the concept that they talk about so often, that when you pastor a rural church, you don't just pastor the church but you pastor the community and hmm. that opened up in my mind a whole big door uh, of, of new concepts and ideas in regards to uh, in, in regards to rural uh, ministry in rural churches and it was because of that that over a period of time and it was a, it was a time of uh, you know uh, over a year eventually through that and then also the ministry of another friend of mine, that God began to open up to me to see how that I could use the background that I had from my years of experience in Teen Challenge to be a blessing to the rural community and rural churches. And uh, again, that's through the Living Free Ministry, which we'll talk about later. But, but the point is, I began to see how that this could be a blessing, and how it could really be a help because if you're trying to pastor a church in a rural area, well, I can tell you one thing for sure. I can't tell you exactly what your situation is. I can't tell you what your church is like. I can't tell you what your community is like, but I can tell is like I can tell you that you've got people there that have drug, alcohol, and other kinds of life controlling problems, and you've got you've got a lot of them. Uh, and so I begin to see that God could use me. And that's when I applied for U.S. missionary status and was approved and started the ministry of rural freedom that
0: we're in. Awesome. Well, and help us uh, also paint the picture, because obviously Teen Challenge is a huge uh, ministry to help those uh, specifically with addiction and even uh, living free, you know, and the rural freedom, of course, all kind of line up with that. But maybe talk to us a little bit, because I, I, I had a lot of preconceived notions about the rural church before I stepped into it as pastor. Um, a lot of the common things of, you know, small town stereotypes, but drug and alcohol was was really not something that ever crossed my mind, you know. And so would mm-hmm. you be able to take I love like mm-hmm. stats and figures or just a general feel for things. So so spend a minute or two and talk to us about kind of the nature of substance abuse nationally, but kind of, you know, in the world's context specifically. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'll hit, the, I'll hit a few things nationally. I think we all know that that there's a real problem. Um, I just uh, read just this week, actually uh, from SAMHSA, which is the part of the government that does these statistics. Uh, and I think this is probably from 2021 and that is that there are 46 million people in the United States who have substance use disorder. And in other words, substances are a problem for them. Now, 29 and a half of 29 and a half million of those struggle with alcohol Twenty-four million struggle with drugs, and there's seven million that are included in both categories, and whereas they have a a dual diagnosis. Now, sure. here's the th- here's the thing about uh a couple of things. One other thing is that in 2021 we had over a hundred and six thousand people in the United States that died because of drug overdoses. Sure. I mean that's a, that's an incredible incredible number. I mean, used to we said, well, it's more. More people died this year, you know, drug overdoses than the Vietnam War. Well, we're way past that that sure. amount. Uh, so 106,000. Uh, but here's the other thing, Joe, and, and where, you know, we see that, we hear that, okay, we got a major problem. But 94% of those people, according to what the, the government statistics were, did not receive any help for their substance abuse. Oh, wow. 94%. So what that tells you is, though there are many uh, programs that help people, some secular, uh, some Christian, like Teen Challenge, and many related programs, and thank God for them, there are literally millions of people in our country that are walking around that have substance use issues. Now, Go to the rural area, so it'd be nice to say, "Well, that's the big city," and yeah, doesn't happen in rural communities. Problem,
0: you know, you you would yeah, like so, to, you know,
1: this this statistic to me says it better than anything else. So, kind of follow me here; it's a little bit uh, a little bit convoluted. Yeah, no worries. I'm excited. In 1999. Sure. The rate of overdose deaths in rural America was four per 100,000. In other okay. words, for every 100,000 people, four people would die from a, a drug overdose. By 2020, uh, just 21 years later, by 2020, it went from four, four per 100,000 to 26.2 per 100,000. Oh, wow. That's a 650% increase. Yeah. So you're talking about, you know, six times, over six times, the number of people that die from drug overdoses in rural America, right? And so this is a problem and an issue that is is, is tremendous. Just a couple of other things, real quickly. Um, in in rural America, a person is more than twice as likely to die from a prescription painkill pain pill overdose than they are in uh, urban America. And in rural America, they're more than uh, excuse me in rural America, forty five percent of people who die from alcohol related. Uh, accidents die in rural America as opposed to urban America. And of course the population wow. is way skewed. I mean, there's, there's sure, many, sure. many times more people in urban America, but almost half of the people that die from uh, alcohol related automobile accidents do so in rural America. So the problem wow. there in rural America is, is just huge. And, um, and and it's compounded by the fact, Joe, that there are not very many resources uh, available in rural America to help those. Now, again, I, I believe firmly in the importance of faith-based uh, faith-based ministry to people to help them. I applaud anybody who's trying to help and, and everything, but I've been doing this for 44 years. And uh, I'll just tell you the thing that works the most is that which is going to be faith-based and, p- and puts a focus on a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But even in rural areas, you don't have a lot of that. And unfortunately, so when somebody starts having this problem in a rural area, the rural context, they really have nowhere to turn most of the time. Mm. That's why we I feel such a burden to get churches in rural America equipped to be able uh, to minister to people because, you know, I mean, if you don't, there's really nobody else to help in most cases. Sure.
0: Um, so let's, let's, obviously we're going to get to specific stuff here in a second, um, walking into, uh, you know, living free and rural freedom. Um, but, uh, what are some general ways pastors, you know, can reach those struggling with substance abuse in their community? Now, obviously, uh, the big one is, you know, bringing a program again, like the ones we're going to describe, but even like, you know, I think of a lot of churches who may struggle with like, man, how, how do you, How do you recognize someone in addiction? How do you make your church a friendly place for that? You know, and and obviously uh, you have not directly been in pastoral ministry, but working with ministers all the time. What are some of those general things we got to do, mindsets, approaches that that can help us, you know, be more friendly toward that?
1: Well, I mean, first of all, uh, you know, usually when people have a problem, uh, it will show up eventually. All right. You know, I mean, here's one of the things. Is that people who are involved in in uh, alcohol abuse and involved in substance uh, drug abuse, they find good ways to cover it up. Okay, but eventually, no matter how good you are at covering up, it's going to show up. Okay, so so those things are gonna they're going to come to light. Uh, whether somebody's involved in the church, not involved in the church, you're going to know. And here's the thing about a small town. <laughs> is guess what? You can't hide things very well. Uh yeah. because everybody in a small town knows everybody's business. So uh, if a pastor doesn't know about who's got drug or alcohol problems in their local church, it's because they pretty well got their head in the sand. I mean, if sure, you're sure. a part of the com- active part of the community, you're going to know, you know, people that have those issues. And of course, a lot of times they may not be a part of your church directly, but they may be related to somebody in your church. Uh, uh, When I do a Sunday morning service, uh, I always, at the close, I always have prayer for those who have loved ones that are struggling with drugs or alcohol. Mm. And Joe, almost every time I get anywhere from 10% to as much as 50% of the congregation that will come forward that say they've got somebody in their life that is struggling. So it really is very true, but a lot of times we don't even talk about it. But back to what you said, which I think is a very important uh, and that is, is that is to make your church friendly for those who are struggling. And it, and a pastor has to talk to his people about that. You can't just assume. Well, we all love Jesus, and if somebody comes, you know, if if, if the guy who's the local, uh, you know, alcoholic, or he's the local drug uh, dealer, or whatever, comes to church, that everybody's just going to be, you know, immediately just praying as, you know, God help that person. Unfortunately, some people don't think that way. And they're only concerned about protecting themselves and protecting their families. And so we have to say to, to people is that, you know, we're here to minister to those who are in need. All you have to do is look at the Gospels. And, you know, who did Jesus hang around with the most? You know, he hung around with the, the, uh, the tax collectors and the prostitutes and all of that sort of thing. They didn't do what they were doing, but those right. were the people that were drawn to him because he cared, he cared so much about them. And what I would say also is this to pastors is be proactive. Look for those who are struggling and and look to befriend them as in any way that you can and you know it may not you know they they may see you and of course they're going to know if you're in a a rural community they're going to know who's the preacher and all that sort of thing but you know just letting them know hey you know what god loves you and i care about you god loves you and i i know you're going through a hard time and i i would love to be able to to sit down and talk with you sometime and be able to to, to encourage you, you know, and, and again, you might get turned down 40 times in a row, but that 41st time, they may be at a point where they're ready to say, Yeah, I, I would like to talk, I would like to be involved. The other thing is, I think it's important for the local uh, uh, pastors to develop relationships with people in the community who, by nature, are going to be dealing with these folks, like the prosecuting attorney, the public defender people oh, sure. who are involved in social services, the sheriff's department, the police department, and many, many other people that are going to be involved and engaged with those folks, get involved with those people, go to them and tell them, Hey, we want to be able to help these folks. You know, what can we do? Get, get some advice from them about how you can connect and what you can do. And, and, uh, you know, a part of that, you know, a lot of times a pastor and I've, I've known several rural pastors that become chaplains for mm. the local sheriff's department or the local sure. police department or the fire department, and you become a chaplain, then you automatically are the people that they think of as need, you know, to be there to help those who are struggling or their family, who's going through some kind of a hmm. situation as a result of that person's uh, substance abuse. So get connected and and open that door so that people will know that you are there to to catch uh, there to help them. Another thing though is simply to reach out to anyone or and everyone who is directly or indirectly connected to the church who needs help. I kind of mentioned this before. So that if if Sister you know Smith over here and talks about her grandson who, you know, who's struggling and, and you know he's he's you know been already been to prison once or twice and and you know he's back, but now he's using again or whatever you know, ask Sister Smith, hey, could you set me up to, to talk with your grandson? And, you know, and don't come in. And, I mean, this is going to sound terrible, but don't come in and just, you know, give the four spiritual laws or, or right, preach the right, gospel right. or whatever. You need to come in and be a friend of them. And it might mm-hmm. take a year, a year and a half or two years of being a friend of that person before they're going to really open up enough to be able to listen to what the the, the true message of what you have. But they, you see, people that are, are bound by drugs and alcohol, they don't trust anybody except those in their own community. And they don't trust those in their own community because they've been, they've been stabbed in the back. But they sure don't trust anybody else. So you've got to show them that you really care about them as a person, as an individual. And then over time, there will be opportunities for you to be able to reach out and to minister and to help them.
0: Absolutely. Well, let's dive in now to kind of obviously one of the biggest ways uh, that a pastor could offer tangible support. And, uh, and so let's take five minutes because I love highlighting good, effective resources. Um, tell us, you know, kind of about living free and specifically, you know, your nonprofit rural freedom. And so tell us about what these programs do. Give us that snapshot of why they're effective. Um, and then, of course, after that, we'll definitely dive into how we how we get a hold of these resources. But just give us an idea of what they are.
1: Yeah, Joe. Uh, actually, our ministry, Rural Freedom, uh, is uh, it, it's primarily connected to the Living Free ministry. Sure. Now, when same. we first when we first started out, when we first started out, I had some other options that were available, but uh, you know, I quickly found out that people, if they had an interest in really helping, they use Living Free. So, Living Free is a small group ministry that's built on the principle that when you have the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the people of God working together, then lives can be changed. And so the material there that Living Free provides helps individuals to be able to deal with all kinds of issues and problems in their life. Now, here's the thing. Right off the bat, I'm sure there are some pastors who are listening to this podcast, and they say, well, you know, my church isn't big enough. We can't help. So let me tell you a story to to get rid of that notion, a very good friend of mine, when uh, I first met him, he and his wife were pastoring a church, but they wanted to they wanted help in this area in their local community, and and I said, well, I said we really don't like the pastor and his you know wife to to be part of living free. He said, well, they have to we have to be because it's us and two elderly ladies are the, all that we have in our church. Anyway, long story short, he started doing living free. And what he did, they would have Sunday morning service, then they would order pizza, they would have pizza, and then they would do living free afterwards. Mm. So there were a few people that came. One of them was a guy who had been an alcoholic for at least 20 years. And long story short, as they were going through the material, God began to work in this man's life, and God began to change him, and the Lord set him free from his alcohol addiction. Wow. And so that's great. But let me tell you another story that shows another dimension of living free, because living free, while it is a great ministry for people with life-controlling problems, it's also a tremendous ministry for of discipleship. There was a lady there. She was a widow, a widow and her and her husband had been involved in ministry, but he had passed away. Well, she, as she was going through the material, God began to speak to her and show her how that she... Because of the lifestyle uh, the, in regards to eating had actually been a part of her husband passing away because it was d- diabetes related. Oh, and God wow. began to convict her, and she began, she began to make changes in her life and lifestyle. She began to lose weight. And I think if I remember correctly, got was able to get off of her medication for her own diabetes. Wow. So, you know, here's the thing. We want to we say, oh, those people need help. Well, you know what? Those people are us people. <laughs> yeah, I we was going to say, all, we might just we, be
0: those people. <laughs> yeah,
1: and we all have problems and issues that we want to deal with. Is why, again, living free is so uh, remarkable. Let me just share a couple things real quick. Number one, we do want to, in most cases, we want it to be the lay people in the church that are doing this. And that's what, that's what my role is, is to come in and help train the lay people of your church, how to be able to lead these small groups in an effective way. You say, well, I don't have anybody in my church that's got a drug or alcohol background. Well, remember what my testimony is. I never had a drug or alcohol background, and I've been doing this for 44 years. <laughs> All you do yeah. is got to love God and care about people that it, 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 and be willing to learn. If you do those three things, then God will help you. So we come in help train the lay people in your church how to lead these groups And then you begin to make it available to people in the community. Now that's where the hard work comes in—is getting the word out and letting people know. And it doesn't necessarily happen over. I always say that living free does it, you know—it grows like an oak tree, not a weed. You know, weed grows up overnight, but an oak tree takes a while. Well, this is the same thing with living free ministry. It takes a while, but once you get a a reputation in the community that here's a place who people are struggling with an issue in their life can find help then people people start automatically referring those individuals to you to be able to help them so that's uh uh, very very important another thing that uh that i want to let you know let folks know is that it's not it's a very economical ministry most churches that i uh, get to serve with or or partner with they can get living free started for anywhere from 300 to 500 dollars for wow. the initial getting going and if you do it the way we encourage you to do it uh, you could probably function for an entire year for three hundred to five hundred dollars Wow that's so super cool I, well I realize a lot of churches don't have three to five hundred dollars just hanging around sure. uh, just laying around but again that's a I think that's a reasonable amount uh, that a person you know for a church to be able to have an effective ministry. Yeah. and um anyway, so that's that's really what living free is let me just share a few things that living free yeah. covers real quickly there's some groups that i that that, that, that are what I call uh foundational groups and th- they will help anybody at any time and then there's groups I call uh uh focus groups that are focused on a specific area uh like anger our master or servant I don't know about you, but I've actually even known Christians who have anger problems that's a yeah, I yeah no surprise there uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, facing fear or finding faith uh, we have a group on uh, how how basically you handle your finances uh, a group for single christians um, a, a group for uh, basically what what you're calling you know god what you're gifting and all of those kinds of things and many many others a committed couples group i mean what marriage doesn't need a tune-up from you know, time to time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so there's all kinds of groups. There's actually over 30 different groups that are involved in living free, and those groups are very helpful. If you go to our uh, webs, the Living Free website, LivingFree.org, uh, right there it t- it, on the front of pra- uh, the 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 first page, you can click on there, and it will show you many of the groups that are available. So it really is something that ministers in a broad way. And the reason why we can be effective both as a discipleship ministry, as well as a recovery ministry is this, is that the issues that, that a person deals with in their heart, that, that why is a person using drugs? Why are they involved with alcohol? Joe, it only took me about a month in Teen Challenge to realize that drugs weren't the problem. Alcohol wasn't the problem. It was what was on the inside. Mm. And that's what the real issue is, and that's what Living Free uh, addresses. What are the real problems in a person's life? Now, let me also share one thing that's very important. These groups are confidential in nature, mm. so that people who that. otherwise wouldn't open up and talk about issues, guess what? They're free to do that. You say, mm. well, what if it's a, the person is a drug dealer, and they talk about drugs that they deal Guess what? Sure. You don't say that's, anything, and that's, that's it. Yeah, confidential in nature. There's the only two exceptions: somebody gives a, a a a credible threat to harm themselves or harm someone else. Other than that, everything is confidential. And mm-hmm. within that context, the Holy Spirit does a tremendous job of helping people open up. And then, of course, because the Word of God is the basis on on the what we're looking at and what we're studying, then He helps to bring healing and and uh, change in a person's life.
0: Man, that's so wonderful. What a what a cool vision. What a great application. Uh so I do have a question. You mentioned kind of your role as a trainer, helper, promoter of all these things. And so how do people get a hold of you? I mean, obviously we heard about uh livingfree.org, which is super great. But if people want to get a hold of you, if they want to take advantage of of the things that you offer in relation to this, how could they do that?
1: The best way is first of all, let me give you my cell phone number. And <laughs> that is 417. 417- 849 1160, 417 849 1160. And then my email, jacksmart64 at gmail.com, jacksmart64 at gmail.com. And that's really the best way. I mean, I've got a website, but to be honest with you, I prefer people to get in contact with me directly um, and, and just, you know, call that number. Or get get on that uh, email and get in touch with me. I would love to talk with a pastor and and listen. You may think, well, we really have a need in our community and everything else, but I don't think it's going to fit with our church. Well, talk sure. to me first. Don't right? just decide that it's not going to happen. Talk with me first because sure. you may be surprised at what God can do with us. I mean, you know, we we all love to preach about Gideon in the three hundred, uh, yeah. yet sometimes we will sit there and say, well, I don't have enough people you know, to, to have an effective ministry. Well, remember my friend that I shared with before, it started out with him, his wife and two elderly women. And, Mm -hmm. and God used that to touch the lives of people. So he can use that you as well. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, this last question is one that's always just a personal interest to me. Anytime I hear people hit a certain threshold, okay, we won't use the Perkins senior menu discount as a, as a point (laughs) of that threshold, uh, but I do know that any anyone who looks at me and says, "Man, I've spent 34 years uh, in ministry of some kind, and then still continuing today," I just love uh, to ask this question: um, If you had a word of encouragement, um, whether generally or you know, you know, something that sustained you in ministry that you could pass on to leaders and pastors, you know, what would you say?
1: Well, uh, of course, when you've been in ministry as long as I have, you can't boil it down to one thing. You got to have at least a couple. <laughs> so fair enough. Um, I, I I will do. I'll say this. And especially in this area, um, don't focus, if you're trying to help those with uh, substance abuse issues, don't focus on who you're not able to help, but focus on who you do help. Mm. Let's say you reach out to 20 people that are struggling in this area of their life, and only one of them seems to make any kind of a change or turnaround. Don't focus on the 19 that, that didn't turn around. Focus on the one who did. Mm. Because I will promise you this. While maybe you didn't see those 19 turn around, I can promise you, you planted seed, 19 seeds in those people's lives. And I, I have heard many testimonies over the years, uh, particularly in the area of Teen Challenge, where somebody would say, five years ago, somebody told me about Teen Challenge. But mm. it took that long. so don't don't worry about seeing immediate results. The second thing I, I would say is that as you are ministering to these folks, it's very important that you are you are, you are as honest with them as you want them to be with you. Mm. that you are honest with them about about that. Now, listen, in the process of that, you need to be real, but you also need to be compassionate and merciful. Uh, you're not you're not there to preach a sermon to them, and mm-hmm. sometimes as preachers, we've got a tool, we've got a tool belt, and it's got one or two tools, mm-hmm. and the biggest tool there is preaching, and mm-hmm. while that is what you're called to do in one context, in this context, you need something a little different as a tool, and that tool is compassion, and that tool is showing your love and concern for that person. And there's sometimes your heart will be broken, and you'll just have to walk away and say, "I can't do anything." But there'll be other times where your persistence and your love for that person, the love of Jesus that you show that person, is going to help them. Now we don't have time; we could do a whole another podcast about do's and don'ts of that.
0: But sure. that,
1: that would be the things, the two things that I would focus on.
0: Man, well, thank you so much for sharing that, Jack. I just want to say thanks again for being on the podcast today.
1: Hey Joe, listen. It was my pleasure, and and God bless you for what you're doing. I think this is. I know this is helping uh, you know hundreds and hundreds of pastors out there, who uh you know need that the encouragement that you're providing through this.
0: Man, well, hey, from all of us at Real Advancement, we just want to say thanks again for tuning in. Again, it is our goal every single week to bring you content that is just spoken right to where you're at. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged and inspired. Uh, we're excited to put those links in the show notes so that if you want to check out either of these ministries or reach out to Jack personally, you can do so. Um, as usual, if you ever want to uh, leave a rating or review for our show on on Spotify or, or Apple Podcasts, it's super helpful. But uh, to be quite frank, uh, most of how we spread things in a rural context is just by letting somebody know these are good conversations for someone to tune in on. And so for this week, I've been your host, Joe Epley. He has been Jack Smart, and we will see you next week.